already a number of times this morning. Um, it's not, uh, I think, nearly as enjoyable or moving, and, and neither should it be, uh, since we are not together. And yet, I, I do think, even as I was reflecting on this this morning, uh, that God sometimes takes good things away from us, doesn't he? That we might focus more on ultimate things. Even in my morning uh, time in God's Word in the book of Isaiah, I was considering how one day when salvation is complete, God will gather all his people together. And so I wonder if even now during this time, he's scattered us so that our hearts may grow in longing. That one day and one day soon, we shall be gathered together to King Jesus in a place he calls paradise. And there we shall be with him always. And so it's in that great hope that we even worship together in our homes, and those few gathered here uh, at Hamilton Baptist Church were delighted that we might consider his word this morning. In Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, hear now the word of God. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the great promises that we find here in your scripture. We're thankful that you continue to speak to us through your word. I trust you would do so now. I find great encouragement in these truths, and I I pray and hope that my brothers and sisters would as well. As you guide guide our minds, guide our hearts in this new day in which we live, that we might respond to all that is going around us as followers of Christ ought to respond. And here we have uh, such great instruction before us. And so we come here because... We want to hear from you. And so we pray as we often do. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. It was in the year 1946 that Joshua Liebman wrote his book entitled Peace of Mind. It would be on the number one, the rank of number one on the New York Times bestseller list for 58 consecutive weeks. It would stay on the top 10 for three years, as Liebman offered all who read his book, Peace of Mind. As a result, he was actually besieged with phone calls and letters of people desperate to find the peace that he was offering them. In his attempt to respond to all these these individuals calling out to him and and beseeching him for help, the burden of that ministry, if you will, became so great upon him that even while his book, Peace of Mind, continued to be a bestseller, he, at the age of 41, died of a heart attack. 
most likely induced by stress. There's a sad story that I think presents two observations for us. Number one, people are desperate for peace. Number two, no person is able to give it to them. I would suggest to you this morning that true peace can only be found in the one who has made, him, made us for himself, namely God. These, of course, are days in which we need peace, aren't they not? They are anxious days. It is perhaps somewhat ironic or sad, if you will, that we have finally found something that can unite the entire human race, right? a pandemic. We are united now together across continent, across countries, across language, united in anxiety. We worry, of course, perhaps, about catching the coronavirus, but that is only part, isn't it, of the anxiety in which we might face. There is stress being placed upon us from all sorts of directions, stress on our routines, stress on our finances, stress on the relationships we have, stress on the future, and yet the Bible comes even in the midst of times of great stress and tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Jesus would caution us, would he not, saying, do not be anxious about your life. Paul here writes in Philippians 4, our text for this morning, do not be anxious about anything. Anything. Now, is Paul naive? Is he some ivory tower theologian detached from the realities of the world? No, of course not. In fact, Paul writes these words from a Roman prison, awaiting news whether he will be executed for the crime of being a Christian. And it is this Roman prisoner with his life on the line that writes the words, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. So you might ask, why? Why should we not be anxious? I think there's probably many reasons why we shouldn't. One, anxiety does not help us at all. I think to paraphrase our Lord Jesus, he said something to the effect that well, you who worry, will that add even a, a span to your life? Of course it won't. I think many times, in addition, we're anxious about things that actually never come about. And so we waste our, our time being anxious about things that will not befall us. Uh, anxiety, even more, leads to a host of other sins that we can list. But I think perhaps most of all, the, probably the greatest reason why we should not be anxious is that it, to do so for the Christian is in some way to insult God. That is, it is to say to God, you are not worthy of my trust at times like this. And so Jesus comes and confronts anxiety. In fact, his disciples have fear and worry and anxiety on a number of occasions. And Jesus' response seems to be the same. Uh, Regardless of what's bringing about this fear, he asks them, where is your faith? For instance, remember when Peter, uh, after walking upon water somewhat triumphantly, he begins to sink and he cries out to Jesus. We read in Matthew 14 that Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You see, anxiety doubts God. It says to God, this is not going to work out. And therefore, Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything. And I think if we're probably honest, we find that counsel somewhat elusive. Somewhat difficult to lay our hands upon. In fact, we uh, tend to be, I think, anxious about almost everything. 
And if it's not a worldwide pandemic, it's all the other stresses that we face in life. D.A. Carson lists many of them, saying the regular parade of pressures, car troubles, conflict with colleagues, impending exams, the expectations that family and friends impose, competition at work, a degenerating family, an arid marriage, a rebellious teenager, bereavement, financial insecurity. And we go on and on. We're stressed about our finances. We're stressed about our health. We're stressed about our relationships. We're stressed about our future. And all these pressures kind of pile on us quite often. And we feel anxiety rising up in our heart. And then, of course, here I stand before you this morning. And I say, do not be anxious about anything. You might be tempted to think, well, just give me a break. How is that even possible? Or the alternative response might be, you hear this to be the counsel of God's word, in fact, the command of God's word, don't be anxious about anything, and, the, and therefore, on top of all your other anxieties, you now add this, you're anxious about being anxious. But we ought not to stop reading, because Paul does not simply tell us not to be anxious. He actually goes on and gives us the remedy for anxiety, God's remedy for anxiety. What a great promise this is. There's no naked prohibition. Don't be anxious, period, stop, moving on. He says, don't be anxious. And then he goes on to tell us how it is we can access the peace in which I think God would offer us even now. He commends us here in his passage to trust in the Lord and to to put put our hands in the well-being of our gracious God. We do so in three ways, according to the the, the Apostle Paul. We, We do so through thankful supplication, honorable reflection, and Christ-like action. Consider, first of all, and I think one perhaps most familiar to you from this passage, is that we should seek God's peace through thankful supplication. Know what he says there in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he simply doesn't say, hey, don't be anxious. He goes on to say, no, you bring your anxiety. When you feel it rising up, you bring it to the Lord. This is the first weapon in which he lays in our hand to fight against the, the, the enemy called worry. In fact, it's described here in three different synonyms. He talks about prayer, supplication, and requests. These, of course, all different ways of referring to coming to God with our petitions, It seems to me that the apostle is using kind of a bold font here in order to emphasize the freedom that we have in order to speak to our Father about the concerns in our life. We come to him in prayer and and, and request, but not just simply request. You notice he says that we do so with thanksgiving. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, uh, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. So Paul says, listen, in anxiety-inducing times, you should at that moment be thankful to God. And we might wonder, how, how can I be thankful when I don't know how things are going to turn out? How can I be thankful in the midst of this turmoil? Well, we may not know how it turns out, but of course, we do know the one who controls how it will turn out, right? You may not know your future. In fact, you don't, I, I could be emphatic. I don't. None of us do. But, but God does. He, in fact, he holds the future in his hands. And I would suggest to you this morning that he can be trusted by you. And so when we are preoccupied with worry, it is at this time precisely that I think we need our faith. We must exercise our faith and be thankful. 
Perhaps we should begin by just simply feasting upon God's word and and God's gift to us, namely in Christ Jesus, or especially in our Lord. You might think about what Jesus has done for us, or what Jesus is doing for us, or what Jesus has promised to do for us in the future, and we might even find within us a heart bursting forth in thankfulness. And it's in that thankful attitude that Paul says, now now you're ready to bring your requests to God. We ought to pray, should we not, Christians, knowing that we are not orphans fending for ourselves, but pray in the in our confidence in our Father's loving care as we make our requests known to Him. In fact, that's the language that Paul, uh, that Paul uses, doesn't he? He says, make your request made known to God. It's an interesting phrase, I think, um, to, that we're actually making something known to God as if God does not know already. And so let, let's just be clear. God is not up in heaven saying, oh, there's a pandemic Right? I wish someone would have told me earlier. Right? God is, is, not, is not saying, oh, you need this. I, I wish I had known. No, God is not ignorant of what you need. God is not oblivious as to what is going on. And so therefore, why would Paul say we should make them known to God? Well, I think we, we make these requests known to God as a way to express our dependence upon God. Speaking them aloud, in fact, I think is very helpful in, in casting our heart into uh, independence upon our Lord. We lay it at his feet, and as we do, it helps us to submit to him. Even more so, praying, praying them assures you that God, your Father, hears you, and, and your Father, of course, loves to hear his children. Even in their times of need, especially in their times of need, calling out to us as any daddy does, wants their child to, to know that he is trustworthy and willing to help. And so it is a great delight when children, uh, fathers hear their children cry out to him. And, and I think the same goes with our Lord. And so we make our requests known to him as the apostle explains. And you know what follows when we do so. Well, look at this great promise here in verse 7. I'm not sure it could be any greater than what he says. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love that phrase. Not just peace, but the peace of God. That is, God is at peace. God is never worried. God has never had an anxious moment. God is not in heaven today, flustered and panicking. He is not pacing the throne room. He is not confused. He is not surprised. He is not biting his nails. He is at peace. And it is that peace, the peace of God, that can be ours in Christ Jesus. In fact, was it not on the eve of Jesus crucifixion where he would bear the sins, the weight of sin for all who would trust in him. He gathers his apostles together and he says in John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Or consider the very first words of the resurrected Lord to the gathered apostles on the first day, according to John 20. On the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. That's what God offers us. The peace, the very peace of God. And Paul says we will have this peace of God, and this peace of God will do what? Well, it will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It will, it will stand, God's peace will stand as a sentry 
for the praying man, for the praying woman. It will guard her heart. It will guard his mind. And when anxiety kind of sneaks into the heart with its forked tongue lies, God's peace is, is spots him and, and runs him through. And when, it, when, it, when worry tries to sneak in the, through the back door into the mind and we hear these thoughts, this is never going to work out, this is going to ruin you, God's peace comes running and cuts him down. See, the circumstances continue to attack, but it, God's peace is there and, it, and his peace cannot be defeated according to the apostle. It's going to guard us. In fact, you notice it is a peace, he tells us there in verse 7, that surpasses all understanding. It is, it is a peace, if you will, that makes no sense. We should be anxious in certain circumstances, the world might say, like a worldwide pandemic, or in Paul's case, being thrown in prison. And yet God offers us a peace that, that doesn't make sense at times like those. Some of you have experienced that, haven't you? You have been in the middle of incredible hardship or, or unbelievable uncertainty, and at the same time experienced overwhelming peace. Peace in hard circumstances is what God is suggesting that we would have in, in Christ Jesus through prayer. A peace that surpasses all understanding. Of course, what, you know what this means. If we are to have a peace that surpasses all understanding, it means that the prayers in which we offer do not necessarily take us out of the difficulty in which we are enduring. Right? Because if prayers took away the difficulty, then the peace which follows will be understandable. Okay, we understand why you're at peace. You're no longer in turmoil. So the only way you can have a peace that surpasses understanding is if the trouble continues. And therefore, if you are praying, as I hope and trust many of us are these days, and nothing seems to be happening, it is not that God has not heard us. It is rather instead of giving us deliverance at this moment, he is instead choosing to supply us with his peace with his, his grace. Was, was it not Paul who, who said, three times I've prayed, remove this thorn from my side. And God's answer to Paul is, no, but my grace is sufficient for you. The apostle then concludes, I will boast all the more about my thorn in the flesh. I will boast all the more about my disease, my, my financial hardship, my uncertain future, so that God's power, or we might supply this morning, so that God's peace may rest on me. God is in some sense, some sense saying to us, I'm not going to solve this problem in the way you want or in the time you want. But what I will do is I will walk with you. I will be with you through it. That we might even experience what the psalmist said long ago, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I will have God's peace. Why? Because you are with me. You're with me. In fact, is that not what Paul tells us? You see there at the very end of verse 7, he has this little kind of prepositional phrase. It's not a throwaway. He says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Paul never lets us lose sight of Christ. He always is bringing us back to Jesus. And therefore, no matter what trouble we face, whether it be tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or pandemic, we can do so with this unmovable assurance that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, 
our Lord. And so this, this great conquering peace is available to us, Paul says, if, if we pray. If we pray. If you want victory over worry, if you want to delight in God's peace, if you want to walk in God's presence, you must pray. I wonder, have you ever met a chronic worrier who at the same time enjoys a wonderful devotion to prayer? I would suggest you probably haven't. Those two don't go together. Prayer drives out worry and anxiety. In fact, as many of you have experienced, we we gather together on a, about a quarterly basis and the elders call for a fast for our church and then we, we gather on that day of fasting and we pray for those in particular need um, in our church. We, we anoint them with oil, we lay on hands, we gather and pray. And I'll tell you, every time we've done this, the person then, and when the prayer is over, the person rises, usually with tears on his face and, and many of us sharing those tears. And, and although the, the deliverance may not come at that moment, there, there has been the same response in everyone's heart, at least in my encounter, is that the worry has fled and peace has come. This is what Paul's promising us. If we pray. So, so he, he tells us we, we need to pray. And not just for major concerns. Not just in worldwide pandemics. What are we to pray about? Look, look back in verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But, what is it? In everything. In everything. So we pray about the big things. And we pray about the small things. And we pray about the everythings. Right? And some people, you know, perhaps you've encountered them. Say, I don't pray about small things. Right? I'll pray, talk to God about big things, but not the small things. God has better things to do than to, to manage my small things. As if, if God's up in heaven saying, listen, I'm working on this worldwide pandemic, and you're asking me where your keys are again. I mean, give me a break. Go away. i got things to do. Right? No, no. Paul says we pray in everything throughout our day. Not just as crises emerge, in everything. As he writes to the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. We are to become people of prayer. So my question is, do you pray? Do you pray? Do you talk to God about your worries? Or do you just worry about your worries? Right? Maybe you talk to your spouse about them, or you call your mother, or you, 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 you read a book, or you check out what the internet says. But do you talk to God about them? I would suggest that we, we ought to do what God has told us to do and go to him with prayer. I wonder, church, wherever you may be today, when was the last time you prayed explicitly and at length over the things that worry you, that trouble you, that preoccupy you? I think, I think perhaps now more than ever we need to become people of prayer. In fact, as a church, I'm excited that we're having a prayer meeting this Tuesday at 10 a.m., as we gather together online, we prayed together. I did so this Wednesday with a, a group of uh, local pastors, and it was a great blessing to me even to do it online, to pray with them. And I trust it will be a blessing to us as we seek God's peace. I trust our website has more details as to how you can uh, access that prayer meeting this Tuesday at 10 a.m. I hope to see you then. Well, secondly, Paul tells us that we seek peace through honorable reflection. So we do so through thankful supplication. And then through honorable reflection, note what he says in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul is helping us see that the mind is where this battle rages. 
So the thoughts that occupy the mind, the images that capture the imagination are going to determine how we feel. This is why Paul is constantly telling us to check our minds. He tells us to to renew our minds or set our minds on things above or take every thought captive. Because as Christians, we must think differently. We must bring, uh, quite often at times, our thoughts into submission to God's word. And so he tells us what we ought to think about, doesn't he? He says, think about what is true. Not what is false, but contemplate and rejoice in truth. Consider what is honorable. Think about what is noble and dignified. Concentrate on whatever is just, he tells us. That that which is righteous, not evil. Focus on whatever is pure, not sleazy or filthy. Contemplate whatever is lovely, what's attractive. Uh, Reflect on whatever is commendable, he says. What is admirable? Then he seems to sum up verse 8, doesn't he? And says, listen, anything that's excellent... If there's anything worthy of praise, we ought to think about these things. I think this is a good word for us, especially in this day. Because many of us have a lot of surplus time on our hands. Okay? All of our activities have been canceled. Okay? We've we got no more music lessons. We've got no more Boy Scouts. We've got no more um, a youth group, at least uh, in, in pres- uh, gathering together. We've we got... Uh, um, we, we, I mean, God, it, it's hard to imagine. We have no little league. I don't know what to do with myself, right? I mean, everything's canceled. And so what does that mean? Well, we got a lot of time, don't we? We're not gathering together. And you weren't here for Sunday school. Because we didn't have Sunday school. You have time. So the question is, what are we going to do with the time we now have? And I appreciate Cody's prayer for us already this morning. That it is probably wise not to waste all this extra time watching four or five hours of news every day or reading article after article after article. Now, I'm not saying don't get the news. Get the news. That's fine. But don't saturate yourself with the news at the expense of contemplating those things that are honorable and just and pure and lovely. And I think what's even worse is the temptation with this this surplus time to occupy our mind with that which is filthy, uh, that which is... um, Uh, the opposite of lovely and commendable, that we fill our mind with sleazy, dishonorable entertainment. One has said that you cannot clean yourself while sitting in the mud hole. And uh, I I think we need to beware of filling our minds with things that are quite the opposite of what Paul exhorts us here in verse 8. I appreciate what Kent Hughes said in his book on spiritual disciplines when he wrote, I am aware of the wise warnings against using words like all, every, and always in what I say. Absolutizing one's pronouncements is dangerous, but I'm going to do it anyway. Here it is. It is impossible for any Christian who spends the bulk of his evenings, week upon week, day in and day out, watching the major television networks or contemporary movies to have a Christian mind. This is always true of all Christians in every situation. I would agree with that. I wonder if you would as well that we must control what we expose ourselves to, what you think about. I think we would do well to take the psalmist device in Psalm 101 who says, I will walk with integrity of my heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Instead, we should do what Paul commends. We should ponder, consider, and yes, even discuss the things that point us to God who he is and what he has done and the gifts that he has given us. 
And of course, this is not simply an exhortation to study the Bible more and more, though we would, we would do well to do so. But God's blessings are all around us, aren't they? I mean, God's gifts are everywhere. Springtime is here and, and all of it. But of course, pointing to us, to the one who has made us. There are people in our house and the, 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 the few people we are able to interact all bear God's image in very unique and wonderful ways, pointing us to the one who has made us. We ought to be thinking about these things on a deeper level. God commands his people to think, to think. He tells rebellious Israel, come now, let us reason together. Let's think this out. Remember Mary receiving those wonderful words from the angel, and we find as soon as the angel leaves, the Bible tells us Mary pondered these things in her heart. That is, she had a conversation with herself. She, she talked about them. She meditated upon them. We, as Christians, are to be thinking people. In fact, I think this is one of the, one of the missing elements in, in much of Western contemporary Christianity. That is biblical thinking. That, that there is so much focus in churches about creating a worshipful experience that biblical thinking is, is somewhat minimized. That we just want people to come here and we want to get our emotions engaged and we want to feel the Spirit come and we want to, want to have this incredible experience and get lifted up and go out floating a, a little bit. And, and certainly I want our emotions to be engaged and I want to, to, to feel the Spirit move. Certainly we, we ought to seek after that, but not at the expense of thinking deeply and difficultly uh, through uh, God's Word and on God's truths. And so I, to be honest, as I, I was... Uh, writing this sermon, I, I wonder if there one of the benefits to this live streaming. Now, there aren't many benefits to this, okay? Um, and but there one benefit might be is that the experience of corporate worship is lacking, right? And you, if, you, if you've been with us, you're still with us this morning. Um, you, you've already experienced that. This, this, this is okay, but it's lacking. You're not having the experience that we usually do. And I wonder if that might just for a, for a season be good for us. Because the experience may not be the same, but God's truth is the same. The words we sing are the same. The scripture we consider is the same. And it might just be helpful for us, just for a period to have less of a focus on a worshipful experience and, and renew a commitment to biblical thinking. And so we are to, as Paul tells us, to meditate on truth, meditate on that which is just and honorable realities. This is a remedy for anxiety, I believe. I know one pastor that has ministered to me, says he ponders three truths every morning before his he- feet hit the floor. He wakes up and he just lies there in bed and thinks every morning about these three things. Number one, nothing I can do today can make God love me any more or any less. Number two, nothing I ultimately need today, there's nothing I ultimately need today besides God, and he will be with me throughout my day. And number three, Nothing can happen to me today that is not ultimately for my good. I think, I think truths like that are things we need to fight to believe in anxiety-producing times. This is why Christ taught us. He says, you know, remember in his great passage on worry in Matthew 6, he says, consider the birds. Consider the, the springtime flowers. 
I appreciate what Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Welsh preacher, said uh, when he described one of the disciples' main problems was that they often failed to think. He writes, the whole trouble with a man of little faith is that he does not think. He allows circumstances to bludgeon him. Life comes to us with a club in its hand and strikes us upon the head, and we become incapable of thought, helpless and defeated. The way to avoid that, according to our Lord, is to think. We must spend more time studying our Lord's lessons in observation and deduction. We must never think of faith as something purely mystical, he writes. We must not just sit down in an armchair and expect marvelous things to happen to us. That is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith, rather, is essentially thinking, looking at the birds, Think about them. Draw your deductions. Look at the lilies of the field. Consider them. The trouble, he concludes, with most people, however, is that they will not think. Instead of doing this, they sit down and ask, what is going to happen? That is the absence of thought. It is surrender. It is defeat. Our Lord is urging us to think and to think in a Christian manner. That is the very essence of the Christian faith. And so let us, let us fight against worry by proactively considering the truths that we hold so dear. Perhaps you're anxious about future decisions. You might want to consider Psalm 32. When God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Maybe you're anxious about your ministry, as I know many pastors have been these days. You might want to consider, as I have this week, Isaiah 55. My word which goes forth from my mouth shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the manner for which I sent it. Maybe you're anxious about the welfare of your loved ones. You might consider Matthew 7 and verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Maybe you're anxious about being sick. Consider Psalm 34. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Maybe you're anxious about dying. You might consider Romans 14. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again that, we might, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. And maybe you're anxious about your anxiety. I commend to you Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you in my righteous right hand. My brothers and sisters of Hamilton Baptist Church, let us spend time pondering and considering. Let us not simply turn on the television to drown out our concerns or spend hours droning away on social media. This is a great time for us to grow in our understanding of God. You must have time for quiet meditation. You must have time to think about our God. And as we go about our days, let us continually think about him. Let us see his handiwork. His gifts are everywhere. And what an opportunity we have to memorize scripture now as things slow down. God's giving us these, these opportunities to read a book, perhaps. Read one with, with one you love. Be, uh, join our online Bible study that is this Thursday as the saints of Hamilton Baptist Church study God's word together uh, through this online activity. Again, our website will have details for you. If there's anything excellent or worthy of praise, think about these things. 
So we, we seek peace through thankful supplication and through uh, uh, honorable reflection. Lastly, and, and briefly, we seek peace through Christ-like action. Christ-like action. So verse 80 tells us to ponder these things. Now in verse 9, you'll see he says, practice these things. As we read what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, that the God of peace will be with you. So Paul says, you need to practice what you saw, uh, what you saw me do, what, we saw, what they saw Paul do when he was with them. And so what we're learning here is that godly thinking, verse 8, cannot be separated from godly behavior, verse 9. So we, we take what we know and we now put it into practice. Okay. You, ever, you ever come and sit through a sermon and you, your th- main thought is, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this sermon, right? And, and maybe some of you are even thinking that right now. I need, I need so-and-so to listen to this. It's not necessarily bad, by the way. Uh, it, it's good that we, we're thinking about others and we want the, God's Word to minister to them. But we need to, of course, come to God's Word and listen for ourselves. I think there is something in here for us all to respond to, for us all to do. I think it was Elizabeth Elliot who overheard her daughter singing to her cat one day. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you. Okay. Evidently, her daughter wasn't a cat person. So she must have been a Christian, I imagine. Um, you know, James tells us in, in chapter 1 and verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. And so we, we, we must not just take what we know and, and keep it in our mind. It has to lead into action into service, into ministry. What a wonderful opportunity we have to, to stop only thinking about ourselves and begin to think, how can I be a blessing to others? Even as already been prayed for us this morning, how can I love our neighbors? What a great time you have now to, to form relationships with your neighbors, even at, at, from a six-foot distance, right? I mean, uh, people are open to conversations now. We ought to check in on our neighbors. We ought to be checking in on our community group. We ought to serve one another uh, undoubtedly, this, this, this crisis, if it continues, is going to uh, provide financial strain on many of our brothers and sisters in Hamilton Baptist Church. There might be opportunities. Some of you might be positioned to help ease that strain. There's going to be physical needs in our church during this time. We're already creating a list of people who have proactively volunteered and said, hey, if there's a need that arises Give me a call because I want to help, right? These are times for us to begin to think, okay, where are areas in which I can serve? Where are areas which I could follow the example of our Lord? Paul says, put these things into practice. And then this wonderful promise at the end of verse 9, do you see it there? And the God of peace will be with you. So in verse 7, he talks about the peace of God will guard you. And now in verse 9, he says, now the God of peace will be with you. I think those ideas are related. That is, the peace of God guards us because the God of peace is with us. And, and, and maybe you're listening today from wherever you might be, and you're, you're, you're listening hoping to find the peace of God, hoping to find peace of mind, as Liebman offered so long ago. The scripture offers you something far better. It not simply offers you the peace of God, it offers you the God of peace. You remember that, that wonderful story in which Jesus is asleep in the boat and the storm rises. 
and, and, and the apostles um, just freak out, and they're running around the boat like three stooges, and, and, and they're all afraid they're going to die. And finally, they go to Jesus, and they wake Jesus up, and he walks to the bow of the boat, and he speaks to the storm, and he says, peace, be calm. And the wind dies down, and, and, and the waves lie down, and then he turns to his apostles, and you know what he says to them. He says, oh, you of little faith. Where's your faith? Where did you put your faith? Where have you hidden it? Why are you not using it? Many people wonder, why, why, it is, why does Jesus rebuke them at that time? After all, they did go to Jesus and ask for help. Isn't that good? Some have suggested they, he's rebuking them because they didn't go to Jesus soon enough. I would suggest you that's not the reason why Jesus corrects them here. I think the fact that the reason Jesus corrects them, he's correcting them because they have concluded that being in the midst of the storm means being removed from his care. That the fact that they're in the middle of this, 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 this great trial means they must be, therefore, outside of his pr- protection. And therefore, they are filled with anxiety and we're, we're, uh, worry and dread. And so let's just be emphatic that the Scripture tells us that the presence of trouble is not the absence of God's pre- uh, a presence. In fact, well, let me ask you this question. Would, would you rather have a peaceful day, peaceful boat ride out on the lake, the sun's shining, the breeze is pleasant, the birds are singing, without Jesus, or would you rather ride into the storm with him? What would you rather do? Because I think what, what Scripture is telling us, what it's teaching us, listen, this is what... The, this is the peace that God offers. The peace that, God, that the Bible is speaking about is not the absence of turmoil. It is the presence of God in the turmoil. And, and I, th- there's a storm raging across this world. I, I have no idea how it will play out, nor do you or anybody else. But what about the storm that rages within us? What about the, the, the waves and the, 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 the wind that buffets our hearts and mind? You want that to be settled, even while the storm continues out here. Well, we need to look to the, to the one who's in the boat with us, and it is there that we find peace. You see, the peace of God is not the absence of waves. It is not the absence of a worldwide pandemic. The peace of God is the presence of God. And the God of peace, he tells you, it says right here, verse 9, it's his words, not mine. The God of peace will be with you. And therefore, the peace of God will be too, regardless of the situation we find ourselves in, regardless of the circumstances. I would tell you that the only way to have, have the peace of God is to have the God of peace, and you will find him only in Christ Jesus. Perhaps you're, you're watching from your living room and, and you, you realize you don't have peace because you don't have God. Well, I, would, I would suggest to you that he can be found to you only in knowing Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ came into this world and lived a perfect life and, and, and never had an anxious thought, never a sinful deed. And yet at the end of his, his life, he was, he was crucified. And there as he was crucified, God, God in his holiness poured all his wrath down upon him 
as he paid the penalty for my sin and for the sin of all who would trust in him. He endured God's wrath as a substitute for us. And then three days later, he he rose victoriously from the grave. And now he stands before all of us as, as both crucified Savior and resurrected Lord. And he demands all people to bow their knee to him in submission and faith. And if we will surrender our lives to this King Jesus, he offers us forgiveness of all of our sin. He offers us adoption into his family. He offers us that we shall live forever in a place that he calls paradise. And in that paradise, no storm will ever rage. No pandemic will ever strike. But in the meantime, he promises to be with us, with us, even now, even this afternoon, even facing an uncertain tomorrow. I wonder how would our days change, how would our hearts and our minds change if we really believed that the God of peace is here at our side? What were the last words that our Lord said before he ascended into heaven? Behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And so, saints at Hamilton Baptist Church, let us, let us go into this storm. Let us face these waves with true peace of mind, knowing that the God of peace is with us. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for those great promises. We're thankful that we are not alone in times of turmoil, in times of fear, times of uncertainty, times of struggle. The storm rages around this world in many different ways. And yet for us who are in Christ, we face it with you. May that truth be be so powerful in our lives that peace would overwhelm us, that we indeed would have this peace that surpasses all understanding. If we would cry out to you and consider all that you are doing, and yes, serve as you have shown us. Help us to seek after that. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.